Greetings, future fossils. This is Michael Garfield welcoming you to another episode of the podcast that explores our place in time. I apologize for this show being much later than usual. You think this would be more of a frequent problem on the show given the amount of airtime I devote to the turbulence and unpredictability of our age. But no, it just turns out that it's actually the predictable things that stand in the way sometimes. I'm still adjusting to the new life conditions here in uh, Santa Fe, new job, new place, baby on the way. And I just recently gave a milestone presentation at the Santa Fe Institute where I work, a review of literature from a number of different scientific disciplines pointing towards what I see as an emerging new paradigm in evolutionary theory. Now, admittedly, this talk was a little weird. I am staff, not research at this estimable research institution and it's a little unusual for the social media guy to <laughs> give a science talk there so this was really something more like an invitation to the official scientists at sfi to help me articulate and formalize this synthesis i have been building on for the last 15 years and if you want to know more about that i'll be posting details including the massive mind map I made of academic papers and linked ideas to Patreon, which also, by the way, I'm excited to announce will be hosting the second book club discussion on Diana Reed Slattery's fantastic Xenolinguistics next month. So if you would like to be in on that, just hop on over to Patreon Anyway, now is a good time to thank all of the new Patreon supporters. That includes Max Compton, Luke Aiden, Russell Bradbury Carlin, Josh Ackmans, Robert Vincent Levy, and Mike Schwab, who is a patron at the highest level. And you'll be hearing about his cool startup here on uh, subsequent episodes of the show now that Mike's stepping into that featured sponsor position. Big thanks to all of you. Big thanks to everyone who has been rating and reviewing this show on iTunes. That is an enormous help, as ridiculous as it is, and as little as I want to play into the trillion-dollar agenda of a company that won my heart by selling me fruit-colored computers back in the 90s. But oh well. <laughs> all of us have been tricked to some degree by the primary colors and bubbly user interfaces of our tech overlords as they step insidiously between us, attempting to replace the cornucopia of countless free services that we provided one another in our tribal groupings once upon a time with paid on-demand services to make our bizarre, frequently dehumanizing modern lives more convenient. Yeah, the fact is, I don't know how we scale human intimacy in the internet age. I don't know how we replace all of the affection and closeness and touch that we had living in these tight-knit family groups that have been lost, largely, in an age of suburbs and commutes and long-distance travel to visit family over holidays. I mean, I know I'm thinking about this stuff a lot lately because 
my partner and I just bounced hundreds of miles from our <laughs> entire support networks. And yet, you know, this is a this is an ongoing question. I remember this coming up for me for the first time reading Jennifer Cobb's Cyber Grace back in 2003 or so. She was talking about how the internet was basically designed by people with little sense of appreciation for their bodies and the richness of the human somatic experience. Of course, now, you know, 15 years later, it looks spookily like the body is going into these spaces and yet it's still not enough. It's still not actually providing the really important thing, which is human touch, the sense of being held and loved unconditionally. I mean, however supported you feel by Google or <laughs> Apple or whatever, no matter how catered to you feel when you whisper your desires to Alexa and then they magically appear on the back of a drone mere hours later, that's great and all, but isn't it possibly just a compensation for the lack of unconditional love and support that you currently feel? Isn't consumer convenience just a band-aid that we're slapping on the gushing open wound of our digitized humanity in an age of predatory surveillance capitalism and real-time behavioral control? Folks, what are we going to do about this? Well, luckily, this week we have Epiphany Jordan on the show, author of the recently published book, Somebody Hold Me, The Single Person's Guide to nurturing human touch. I met Epiphany in Austin, where she works on the Karuna Sessions, which is a really beautiful program where she and her partner help people satisfy their non-romantic touch needs. You know, the human skin has a quota. Most of us aren't meeting it. And a lot of problems we're trying to solve with shopping or pills or other diversions are better solved by letting two people hug you for a while look in your eyes, tell you it's going to be okay. So Epiphany has a great angle on this situation and some great advice for folks who feel deprived. I'm really glad that we get to share this one with you. I hope it hasn't arrived too late. Enjoy. I'm, I'm actually, he's like, I come in his office and I'm like, hey, dude. And he's like, he does not like loud noises. Well, the future probably is so loud. As we were just, that we were just talking about this. Like if, maybe if, if our... I don't want the future to be loud. I like it. I like it quiet. I'm pissed that I can like hear the freeway now. Like when I moved into my house 15 years ago, I couldn't so oh, much. Yeah. I live, I live, uh, I, I live about mm, less, less than a mile from I-35, but I finally realized that all the freeway noise comes down the river. Oh yeah. Uh, and now there's a lot of freeway noise. So, you know, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll lay there and I'll be like, oh, traffic. Well, it's not just any traffic. It's I-35 traffic. So you might, you might take some consolation in it being like 
you're like a fetus in the womb of America listening to the veins of your mother, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Unfortunately, uh, you know, I, I mean, I could take solace in the fact that, you know, it's usually bumper to bumper. So there's not that much noise because nobody's <laughs> moving. But at four in the morning, that's actually not the case. It moves yeah. pretty well. Better traffic than a cat that your girlfriend got when you were on a temporary breakup. But, oh no! Yeah. Oh, but she's so she's so cute. Yeah, she is. Anyway, hello, Epiphany Jordan. Welcome to Future Fossils. Thank you for having me, Michael. <laughs> so, um, one of the things that I'm excited about talking with you today, because we talk a lot about what would be like, what will change about being human in the futures we imagine, and what won't. And I, I kind of want to start this out by um, talking to my dad a few years ago about teleconferences mm -hmm. and how I was so sure that teleconferences were going to replace the face-to-face -face conversation, like the, the one we're having right now. And he, he insisted because he was doing, you know, uh, like corporate high, like the best teleconference stuff you could have his company was using. And he's like, it's still not enough and it won't be enough. Because there will always be this thing about shaking somebody's hand. Mm -hmm. And over the last few years, I think I've come around to his point of view, which is that it really, the internet or like digital technologies in general really are not capable of providing a sufficient replacement for human, direct human interaction and specifically the communication of human touch. Yes. And so this is why I'm excited that. We have the author of a book about touch and touch deprivation. On that the show. is correct. So why why did you write this book? Why do you care? That's a good question. And I need to come up with a good answer because people often ask that. Uh, for the past five years, I've had a business here in Austin called Karuna Sessions. And what we do is we provide a ritual of human connection that is centered around touch and it culminates in the client being held in between two practitioners. And the, I mean, this is how we take care of our human young. And it's like your body remembers that feeling and it's like, Oh, this is what it feels like to feel cared for and nurtured and safe and loved. And, um, the genesis of the book came about, I, I actually started writing the book while I was still in a relationship about a year and a half ago. And then after I broke up with my partner of five years, um, I realized that, you know, it's like if I wasn't in a sexual or romantic relationship, that meant that I probably wasn't getting my touch needs met. You know, I have you know, being, being female, I have, uh, you know, friends that I'm very touchy feely with. We're always like hugging each other. Hello and goodbye, which, um, not everybody has that, but, uh, you know, when I started digging into it a little bit more, I realized, well, I, I had realized this for a while, but because our culture equates sex with touch, if you're not in a sexual or a romantic relationship, you're not getting your touch needs met. And, Almost 50% of the American population is now identifies as single. 
And so that's leaving a lot of people without touch. And I think it's starting to bite us in the ass. It's uh, affecting us in a lot of different ways. I heard on, I think it was Chris Ryan's podcast, Tangentially Speaking, he was talking about how, and he's, he's mentioned this in a couple episodes where they said there's some research study where they looked at the amount of touch that people were getting at, as infants, and then they followed them to adulthood, and they looked at uh, how likely are these people, you know, how well are they doing in life? How likely are they to uh, be violent criminals, like that kind of thing? And the people who were touch-deprived were often the ones who were lashing out as adults with all kinds, you know, like violent behaviors and were not, do, you know, the, the students, school-age kids were not performing as well in school if they, weren't, if they were deprived of touch. So this seems like just one more of those really, like, how did we miss this kind of things about civilization? Like, how did we... Where, where did we go wrong? Um, I think uh, it, that's a, it's an interesting question. Um, uh, another uh, friend of mine who um, does professional cuddling recently brought a book to my attention that's called The Deepest Sense, and it's about touch in the Middle Ages. And um, touch and the body, you know, were kind of considered like lower or, you know, something that wasn't, you know, because it's not as close to God and so forth. And so um, it was kind of deprioritized. Um, as far as today, you know, I mean, it's it's hard to have a conversation about touch because, you know, we we tend to go to the idea of oh, there's too much touch, you know, there's all this non-consensual touch. And it's like, we've lumped everything in with that. It was funny when you were talking about your dad with the, with the business meetings, you know, um, you know, work is what a place that's fraught. And I just, uh, I just came upon an article that um, in Great Britain, I think they're, they're talking about, you know, adding like cuddle parties and stuff as like something you can do as a team building exercise at work. And I was just like, oh man, this is not going to end well. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's so it's, it's where, you know, it's, it's this weird thing, you know, where we have too much non-consensual touch, but then on the other side, it's like people are very touch deprived and it's like, how do we design something going forward where we hit that sweet spot where we have, um, you know, where, where people are getting their touch needs met. Because actually, I think that when people don't get their touch needs met, it kind of feeds into the, the non-consensual touch. You know, it's like, it's like a starving person, you know, stealing a loaf of bread or something. Yeah, you know, I had a friend who had a sexual harassment claim filed against him for okay. just some, like this was years before this was like a mainstream media issue, you know, the way it is today. But I remember him being so like surprised and horrified because he's just a very like touchy, a casual, affectionate person. And when he realized that his just, I don't remember what it was. He like patted a girl on the back or something or whatever it was. And he's just for it to come around on him like that. It's obvious. It's like you said, it's, it's obvious that if we are touch deprived, that people are going to just reach out to one another more often and in ways that are, you know, not necessarily, they're like more desperate or whatever. But I think you're right to put 
it in the history of like uh, body hate, you know, and, and this, this transcending the body or, and the mind body split as well that, yeah. you know, kind of took place around the Renaissance. But then you get into this thing where it's like, we're in a weird time, right? Where as we are moving away from a pure, like a primarily visual communications media, you know, just print, which you know, Marshall McLuhan talks about print being inherently isolating. You know, reading a book is, is usually a solitary activity. You're holding it at arm's length. You know, there's, it's, it's, a, it's about the imagination more than it is about the sensation. Rather, uh, like, you know, storytelling as a contrast, mm-hmm. you know, is so much about the energy, the dynamism of the storyteller, right. listening to them, feeling their presence. And it seems like we're moving back towards something more like that in the shift toward, you know, podcasting and video and haptic feedback vests and all these like weird technologies that are mapping senses onto other senses and the skin becoming like you wear a bracelet that like will like feed some data into your, yeah, through vibrations into your arm and you like learn what these vibration buzz, you know, the pulses mean and all this stuff. So we're becoming touchier in a way, but it's like you're saying, it's like at this time where in a way we've also lost some of the basic, not like pre-verbal understanding of touch and like how to touch each other at all. Like you go to Europe and it's like they're kissing each other on the face and Americans are just, I feel like we are, uh, we're like people that were like somebody that was in jail for 20 years and then cell phones happened while he was in jail, you know, and now he's like, what do I do with this? I feel like that's where America in particular is with being physical. <laughs> like, you know. Well, I mean, you have to you have to take into consideration, you know, when it, one of the things that that I wrote about that I've noticed is, you know, people have different levels of comfort with touch and, you know, cu- cultures certainly feed into it. Like I saw this incredible um I, I can't remember what it was a commercial for but it was about this japanese woman who was in her 30s maybe and after um the earthquake in 2011 her parents were worried about fukushima so they sent her to the united states and as she was leaving like they took her to the airport you know to put her on a plane for the united states and they did not hug her goodbye because it's so not part of their culture. And so the commercial is her, her, her parents come to the United States to visit her and she takes them, she's living in California, Southern California. She takes them to the beach and she asks them to hug her because they've like, they, they don't do that. And, and they all, they all end up hugging and it's really sweet. I was, I was crying by the time it was done, but you know, we have, we have such a mix of cultures here and then people have so many personal preferences that it's like we have to we have to do something to to kind of to honor that you know because there are a lot of people who don't like to be touched i mean i have i have a bunch of friends who are like super touch sensitive and you know it's like they get into situations and places where there are a lot of touchy feely people around and you know they're just like curled in a fetal ball in the corner because they're so they, they so dislike it, you know, so we really need to come up with a way to 
you know, for, you know, people to be able to touch each other in a way that it feels good and is consensual because not everybody likes the same thing. I mean, you know, it may feel super good to you to hug someone, but, you know, the person who's getting the hug, you know, that, that might be their worst nightmare. You know, they may have, you know, horrible memories of, you know, like a, like a, a, a drunk aunt, like slobbering on them when they were a chil- children or something. I mean, you, you just, you just don't know what it is. And it's so simple just to, to ask somebody, would you like a hug? Mm-hmm. And so, so, if you, you know, but it's like, we don't, you know, it's like, we don't even know how to do that. And so we just all err on the side of super caution. I was actually, um, a while back, I was talking to a friend, um, there's a really famous study by Sidney Girard that you'll see uh, referenced around touch all the time, where in the late 60s, he goes to different countries and observes people sitting in a cafe and talking and how many times they how many times they touch each other. Um, in the United States, it was twice. And in Puerto Rico, I think it was like 160 times or something. And oh, I know. Yeah, there is. But, you know, it's also a super happy country. And I remember talking to this woman who's from Puerto Rico and she was saying she's a sex therapist, actually. And she was saying how much she missed that physicality of the culture. And I was like, well, I'm sure you have kids there who are like super touch sensitive. And that is just their idea of hell. And she's like. Yeah, I can. She's like, I can I can totally see that, you know, if, if you don't want to be touched and you are, it's like it just it doesn't you know, if it's not consensual, if somebody doesn't want to be touched, it's not going to feel good to them. So I wonder, though, are there as many people who are touch sensitive in that way in a culture that's as touchy like that? Because how much of that is like, you know, if you if you're not getting enough sunlight. Right. And then you go outside and it's like. <laughs> you know, the vampire shrink, uh, or if, you know, you're not getting enough of a, some kind of nutrient, sometimes your body will reject it just because it's not accustomed to it. And I wonder around this conversation, this is actually a really, in a way, this is uh, an issue that's less charged than other similar issues right now. And so maybe therefore a better place to look at this particular question, which is, is it okay for us to regard touch sensitivity like this as a like as a as a disorder or as a perversion? I mean, I mean, because it's like if you're on the one hand, we're arguing that touch is good for you. So if you're somebody that avoids or refuses something that the science suggests is generally of benefit, then is is that? I mean, are all of these people like? traumatized is that the is it a symptom of an underlying pathology or see i don't know any about this so so that's that's a great question uh i i think there is in a lot of cases i mean like like i'm thinking of one a couple of friends of mine in particular who are super touch sensitive who have um a lot of trauma in their childhood but then i mean when you look at something like autism where you know, touch just completely overwhelms them. Like, I, I don't know if you mm. know this or not, um, but a lot of times autistic folks love those Zentai suits, you know, where you're just completely covered from head to toe and, it, you know, it covers your hands and your feet and your face because, you know, they're enclosed and it's like it's it's buffering them from too much sensation. Mm. Um, but in my perfect world and 
the kind of the way that I set up the book, um, it has to be consensual. You know, yeah. if you don't, if you don't want to be touched, it's not going to feel good. I definitely, I come across a lot of people who rationalize away their need for it, you know, who are like, oh, I don't need that, you know, and then once they start getting touched, they're like, oh, man, that feels really good. You know, it's like, you know, it's like if you're if you're if you're starving and like somebody offers you food and you don't want to like jump on it or mm-hmm. something. I mean, the you know, the the touch hunger uh, description or metaphor is is a really good one because. You know, if if I had my druthers, we would reframe this as a, you know, as a health and wellness thing, you know, just like food, you know, drink, you know, eating the right food, drinking enough water, getting exercise and sleep and touch, boom, you throw it on there and, you know, it's got a healthy thing. So, you know, I I, I don't want to, I don't think it's a good idea to force anyone to be touched when they don't want to. So, you know, again, it's such it's such an individual thing, you know, it's there's never going to be a one size fits all solution for this. So I I don't I don't know if it unless it's like a one size fits all Snuggie. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But, you know, I mean, you have to you have to let people come to it on their own and you know, and, and there's certainly like a lot of mental gauntlets that people have to run through, you know, like my, my friends that I'm thinking of who are super touch sensitive, you know, it's like, you know, they have, they have a good reason for distrusting people. And, you know, both of them are like super touchy feely with people that they know and they trust. Um, you, you see that a lot, but, you know, with just the general public, it's like, you know, they're, they they don't, you know, they would prefer it if nobody touched them at all mm. that they didn't know. I guess, I guess the, the sort of deeper layer of this is, is it an issue to pathologize this? Like not, not like, should we touch these people without their consent? Because I remember being that guy, you know, I remember like, I, I couldn't hug anybody at all until I was in high school theater. And it was like, and then you had to, it was sort of, so I'm curious what changed for me. you about um, that or how did, how did you I, get I don't through know. it? I basically, I was sort of pressured into it, but in a way that was not, you know, my friends just were like, you know, we're going to get, you're, you're going to get used to this, but it's not like, that's not a style I would necessarily recommend. Right. But at the same time, exposure therapy over time does seem to address these sort of uh, fear-based symptoms and in all kinds of stuff i I only bring this up just because it's like you know there are to take it completely in a weird dog leg direction uh you know there was that all the controversy around that ted tedx talk recently where this woman was talking about uh pedophilia as a sexual category Categor- like yeah oh, as, and them and them trying to and them trying to like jump on the lbg QIA bandwagon. QIA P. And and so like a lot of people were saying, uh, hey, there's no way you're trying to normalize this. And then people on the other side were saying, well, hey, uh, we need to recognize that, you know, there's a difference between like, you know, homicidal ideation and homicide. Right. And that we can't, you know, we shouldn't demonize people just for the thoughts that they're having if they're not acting on it. And then you get into this whole, it's like, or, or like drug abuse, you know, it's like right. this question of, 
separating sort of the conditions of what's going on inside of a person mentally. And then, I mean, so around that issue, there was this whole thing around, you know, is it, at what point is it legitimate to cross the line to calling something a mental disorder, you know? Yeah. And not, not, you know, cause it's not a judgment on the person. It's not the, it doesn't license you to administer treatment to that person without mm-hmm. their consent. But like, does it help us as a society to think about touch aversion as an issue? Um, I, I, I think we, I think we have to, I mean, I am, I am pretty inclined to leave those people alone. I mean, I, I actually wrote the last chapter of the book is called don't touch me, you know, and it's, (laughs) it's about how you navigate, like the, the book's kind of written for people. It's, uh, for people in alternative communities, which tend to be really touchy feely. And, you know, people who are in those groups who don't like to be touched are like, what the fuck? Get off of me. Um, And so, you know, I'm more I'm more inclined to focus on the people who know that they're touch deprived and want more touch, you know, Mm. and then, you know, if you're you know, if you're a touch averse person and you're like, oh, okay, you know, maybe I'll try this, then great, you know, and you get to make up your own mind about it. But, um, and, and I think there's, a, I think there's a lot of people in that category, you know, or, or people are starting to recognize, you know, they're like, oh, this is, this is, this is a problem that I have, you know, or a lot of people know that there's something wrong, or they feel like there's something missing, but they just don't know quite what it is. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a moment ago, uh, you're talking about the autistic people wrapping themselves in the, in the full body. Suits, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And it reminded me of uh, Temple Grandin, you know? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And how she came up with the hugging machine yep. mm-hmm. based on her work with cattle shoots and yep. like what it takes to make a cow feel secure on the way to the slaughter. Right. Is you put them in these things where they're, they're, sque- they're being squeezed on both sides. And then so she, there's a documentary about her where it shows her in her house with the hugging machine. So that she doesn't have to hug another person, but that she still gets that touch need met. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, that seems in some sense to be where this goes, is that suddenly a new, a niche opens up where we acknowledge, yeah, it, you need to get touched, but not by a person. And that there, there might be all sorts of like prosthetic like uh, my friend's friend has a company where they make those heavy blankets now. Mm-hmm. They're like swaddling blankets yeah. for adults. Yeah. And like that kind of thing. We'll start seeing more and more right. like womb simulators. There there actually is a, um, I, I saw that, I think it was a crew in Germany that made a hugging machine that, I don't know, maybe they'll bring it to South by this year or something. But there were a lot of people who liked it because they were, super awkward with other people. Um, another thing that they said is that um, they liked it because they didn't have to worry about being rejected, you know, oh. like asking somebody, well, I mean, Oh my God, that that's a whole, that's a whole nother story. But I mean, you know, you're, you're, we're already seeing this. I mean, look at how people are with their pets. I mean, when I was, when I was working um, downtown, like I was, when I was doing my gig economy stuff and uh, like for a while I was doing Instacart, you know, and I would be in like all these like 
super fancy high-rise buildings and people with their dogs. Oh my God, you know, it was just like, I mean, people have these incredibly intimate relationships with their pets now, you know, and that is a great source of companionship and touch for a lot of people. But I don't, you know, it, it it's, it's nice. I think it's nice to have the option of having a hugging machine or something, you know, like if you are, you know, super awkward with humans or something, but I mean, that touch is human. I mean, this is, you know, like, like you were talking about with, um, you know, noticing the effects of, touch deprivation on kids, like, you know, years and years later, you know, it's so, I, I mean, that is, that is how we raise our human young, but it's, it's also how we started as a species. I mean, you know, it, when we were living in caves thousands and thousands of years ago, we would sleep in giant piles for warmth and safety. I mean, human beings need other human beings and, you know, it's it's one of the shortest and simplest ways for people to connect with each other, you know, and, you know, it's like we're trying to find all of these elaborate solutions. And, you know, sometimes the simplest answer is the simplest. I mean, you know, obviously there's a lot of machinations that go into it. And, you know, like this is part of the reason I like I created this really specific system to help people touch each other. But, um, you know, I mean, I, I think it could push us more in a direction that we're looking to go and address a whole bunch of different issues and problems. You bringing up the pets thing reminds me of uh, comedian Eliza Schlesinger. And she just had a Netflix special called Elder Millennial she's like 35 <laughs> and a huge piece of that stand-up is about how like women in their 30s start displacing their mothering impulses onto their pets oh totally and what it's like for the dog because the dog is like aware on some vague like has a faint memory of not you know of being afraid for some reason and then she picks up this tiny little dog and suddenly the dog's on its back being treated like a baby and you know, I, I think about that every time my partner picks up her cat, who clearly does not like being picked up off the floor for some reason. Mm. And it's, you're getting back into this issue where it's like uh, the rights that we find it really just bonehead obvious belong to human beings. Somehow we don't feel the need to extend those rights to the other creatures that we live with. And so you get like people who can't. That's why I, I you know, I look at it as like, oh, the, the warmth of you know the love between a human and their pet or whatever but it can go the other way and i think often it does go the other way right where it's like you're just torturing this poor creature well but um you know i mean animals are not you know are not always great with each other too i mean like i have i have two cats and um one of them when she when she was i had had her since she was a kitten when she was about five the other cat we had died and I thought she was really lonely. So I got her another cat and she hates him. Six years later, she still hates him and he just will not take no for an answer. And I'm like, Hoover, you are that guy. You know, mm. I'm like, you would have had a harassment suit slapped on you so fast if you're a human because you will not leave her alone. So, 
Um, yeah, I mean, Animal people... World's very rapey. Yeah. yeah <laughs> okay, so that yeah. Okay, so now we're talking about animal rape. Awesome. No. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, people do displace a lot, and and pets are wonderful. I I love I love my critters to death. But I also think they're not a substitute for other people. Mm-hmm. You know, they can they can be a godsend and they're wonderful and they're entertaining and they're fun. But, you know, they're 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 not a substitute for other people. They're not. There's something maybe it's it's about there's like the physiological level at which you can have a hugging machine. Mm-hmm. But then there's the emotional level at which you can have a sort of unspoken understanding with a pet. But then there's the like mutual informed consent level. Yes. What do you think is happening at that level? Like, what do you think makes that piece of it so special and irreplaceable by robots or? or it, it's it's whatever? how we it's how we recognize the people in our tribe, yeah. or our you know our clan or our family, you know. And I don't I don't think that that even needs to be. You know, it doesn't have to be a long going, ongoing thing. You know, I mean, I've I've given, you know, total strangers, you know, really, really loving, tender hugs, you know, and, you know, where where you're just feeling accepted. And I love I actually used it as the opening quote for my book. Um, I don't know if you've read uh, Bessel van der Kolk's book the body keeps the score about trauma no i heard about oh, this so book. good anyways uh i i pulled this quote out of the book because i love it so much and he says the most natural thing in the world is to cling to another human being when you're scared or frightened mm. you know i mean this is this is the humans humans meant safety i mean if you were you know thousands of years ago you know if you were not with other humans then you were pretty screwed, you know? I mean, you, you were just, you were fucked. Um, and I mean, you don't even, we don't even have to go that far back. I mean, a hundred years ago, not, not in Texas because we're all sweating our heads off here, but (laughs) you know, I mean, if you lived, uh, in a cold climate, you would sleep in a bed with all of the, all of your family members, because if not, you would freeze to death, you know? I was thinking about that with uh, the life, the biography of Abraham Lincoln and that question, you know, was he a homosexual? Right. And there was like, well, it was it was commonplace in those days totally. for two grown men to share a bed because there was only one bed in well, the cabin and you kept each other warm. Right. I mean, human, you know, body body heat is, you know, that when when you don't have fuel for your fire and stuff. I mean, I have I have a friend who lives off the grid in Northern California and you know, should we stoke the hell out of the fire before we go to sleep in the yurt? But, you know, it's not very much fun to get up at, you know, seven in the morning to have to restart the fire when it's cold. And, you know, this is like elevation 2000 feet in the Sierra Nevada foothills, you know, so it's not even that cold in the in the, you know, dead of winter. You know, yeah. it's it, you know, maybe maybe it's around freezing, you know, it's that's not the same as like trying to restart the fire when there's, you know, like feet of snow on the ground. I mean, you know, it's, it's just, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's so, it's so intrinsic to the human experience and we've really gotten away from it, but yeah, I mean, you have to, you know, there were, there were so many periods of time when, 
you, you had to have other humans for your survival. So to that point, you know, you bringing up the professional cuddling piece of this, uh -huh. it feels to me as though civilization can be told as a story that starts with us needing each other and ends with us not needing each other except through like commercial services sort of on the go. Like, and I'm not saying that that's a great story. I'm not saying I'm happy with the ending, but it seems as though, you know, like there's a reason why they say like prostitution was the oldest profession, right? Because you kind of go up the hierarchy of needs you know, in terms of like what could be easily commercialized. Mm -hmm. So the very first things you get are touch and Wi-Fi. Uh, <laughs> and then... On the opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. well, no, but like, like is, sincerely, uh, it does seem as though the fact that we have professional cuddlers speaks to the heart of the sort of mixed blessing of modernity, right? That on the one hand, wow, you can get paid just to do this, just to provide some very natural thing... But on the other hand, that there are some people that are so touch-deprived in their lives that they feel that they have to pay somebody else. Okay, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Okay, so this is, I, I dug into this in the book too. Well, I mean, the whole book is kind of about this because one of the things that I say is that people don't touch their friends. So let me ask you a question. Um, do you know any, say, you know, men in their 60s or 70s who are widowed? And if you do, do you go over and cuddle them because they don't have that option because their wives have died? Um, do you cuddle up with, say, um, maybe like a software engineer who's moved here from India and doesn't have friends and family around him and his mother has died? And he needs comfort. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people people who are socially awkward or, you know, who've been raped or abused as a kid and they know, you know, they don't have that level of trust. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of reasons. And, you know, there hasn't there hasn't been a lot of research done yet on professional cuddling, but from doing the work that we've done with Karuna sessions, I can say pretty unequivocally that, you know, for a lot of people, the choice is not being touched by somebody you love and care about and being touched by a stranger. The choice is be between being touched by a stranger and not being touched at all. Exactly. No, that's no, but that's the thing, right? Is that it's not, it's not like there's a problem at the level of the individual here. It's that some, it's like we live in this uh, time where I, you know, Professional cuddling seems like ethically airtight, like inarguable to me. Oh, time. you'd be surprised how many people argue about it. This really? topic pisses people off. <laughs> Let's get into a story about that in a second. Like this thing about, I don't know why I'm belaboring this point, but it seems uh, like like a like a tragedy to me that we've gotten to a point where the system. It's like basically, uh, it's like one of these public-private deals, you know, where. Uh, the reason that we, we need professional cuddlers is because somehow we've strayed so far from a civilization in which people are comfortable with that. Right. You know, that you can move from a city to another city. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be that Indian software engineer and move to a new place and immediately make physically affectionate friendships. Right. Or like you are that, that like a, an elderly widow or widower 
and you have this, you know, this extended peer group that's comfortable with like holding you. Well, I mean, in the in old days, you know, when we had multi generational families, I mean, like my mother's a widow, and she gets tons of touch from my six year old niece. I mean, you know, the you know my my niece is very very touchy feely, you know, and she's like all over Nana, and that was how elderly folks used to get their touch needs met or, you know, obviously like sleeping in a family bed. Um, but, you know, that that's part of the reason that I wrote the book. You know, it's like I want people, I mean, the thing is though, I mean, there are people in, you know, who have like big communities and have large groups of friends and they're still not getting their touch needs met because we don't have social scripts for how to touch our friends. So I wrote one and, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that it'll help people to, you know, get over that that hump, you know, because it's like once people start doing it again, they're like, oh, my God, this feels so good. But, you know, I don't it's I, I don't think we can really look backwards or go backwards. Like one of the ways that I've, I've started describing um, what we do both with Karuna Sessions and how the book is set up is it's paleo cuddling, you know, it's, it's just the same as the paleo diet. You know, it's like you didn't have the caveman, like, you know, stopping by whole foods to get his, you know, you know, free range lamb at the end of the day and taking it home to cook. You know, it's like, we're taking the idea of what it was like to live in the paleolithic period and updating it in a way that's more palatable to, to modern people. And so, that's kind of what I'm trying to do with touch is saying, you know, this is, this is something that we've evolved with, but you know, I mean, I don't, I, I hate to sleep in the bed with another person. You know, it's like, if I'm, you know, if I, if I were going to be hooking up with somebody, I would be like, like, even before we started, I'd be like, you know, we're, we can totally snuggle afterwards, but you know, when it's time to fall asleep, you're leaving. Because, Get the hell out. Yeah, I don't I don't like to sleep in a bed with another person. I'm a really light sleeper and I need my my beauty rest. And, you know, I just I just don't, you know, so it's like that system wouldn't work for me. But, you know, I love having my friends come over to cuddle with me or, you know, to share touch in some way, you know, where it's it's more it's more specific, you know, because I think a lot of things that have happened in the ways that we've lived in the past have just kind of been for survival or the path, path of least resistance. And it's like, let's try to consciously and deliberately design a way to do this that, that works for people. So what is this? How much of this script are you comfortable talking about? I mean, I know you oh, get, I can... get people to buy the book, right? But... <laughs> uh, like what, what are you, you know, what are your okay. recommendations? Yeah. So, um, well, the way that the book is set up, the, the first third of the book or first half of the book or so is just looking at touch from a bunch of different angles. It's looking at the cultural factors and, you know, the, what effects it has on our body. We talk, you know, I talk about the hierarchy of touch. I talk about the fact that there are different touch types, you know, just like people have different, like some people have high sex drives and some mm -hmm. people have low sex drives, you know, it's, you know, some people want to be touched all the time and some people don't. And then um, I kind of create an ideological framework, you know, and philosophical about what we're talking about, you know, because 
I mean, the, the idea of nurturing human touch is so foreign to people, you know, it's like, we just don't, you know, it's, it's like this whole slice of how people touch each other. That's kind of social in nature that we've lost, you know, I mean, it's like, you see primates doing it all the time, but you know, we don't, we don't do it with each other. And so then the second part of the book is like, it takes you through the entire thing. Like, here's an email that you can send out to your friends and it's, it's meant to be done in a group situation so that it's a social thing because any time that um, you, you have two people touching, you know, we, we um, associate that with something that's sexual, you know, like if you and I were to, to start, you know, like if we decided to like lay down and snuggle, I would be like, I don't really feel comfortable with doing that, Michael, because I don't know your partner well enough to know if they would be comfortable with that. And I don't like to cross boundaries like that. But if your partner was here, and maybe like one other person, then it totally changes the dynamic, and it becomes something that you're kind of doing as a group activity. So I talk about the, um, you know, like I set it up with an email, I talk about um, like I put together like kind of a social contract for people that they sign, you know, and the idea is that everybody is on the same page. And then this is how you set up your space. Like you don't really want to do it in a bedroom unless you have to, you know, like it would be great to like do it here on your living room floor because then it, again, it doesn't feel like it's a sexual thing. Um, I take, we take people through a series of um, boundary exercises and then, um, there's, oh God, I think there's 12 different activities that allow you to progressively get physically closer to a person. Like mm -hmm. the first one, you start out just one person touching the other person's hand. Mm -hmm. That's a, you know, which for some people it's like, okay, that's fucking weird, you know, cause it's like, it's such a, it seems like such a simple thing, but yet we don't really do it. So it's like, you go through these different exercises and then, you know, you get to the point where you're, you know, maybe lying on down face to face, holding another person, which does have sexual connotations. And, you know, you may be like, yeah, I don't think I want to do that again because it just feels too intimate or what have you. But, you know, so the idea is then that when you've gone through all of this, you know, and everybody's, you know, when people are like, oh, wow, this was, this was really a lot of fun. Then you have this common frame of reference so that it would be easy to call you up and be like, Hey, Michael, why don't you come over to my house and, you know, we'll snuggle up on the couch and watch a movie. And you know that that's exactly what I'm, I'm asking you for. And mm -hmm. that it's not that, that it's not some sort of code or that I'm, you know, being oblique and that I'm asking you for one thing, but I really want another. So, yeah, I mean, basically it's, it's creating a, a script and a, you know, a structure for people to, to try this out in a way where it doesn't feel like it's getting sexual. Mm. So like anything else that's, that's kind of unfamiliar where, you know, there's, there's not a common, you know, role for people to step in or common archetypal roles that people take, you know, I mean, like, like we're doing one right now, interviewer and interviewee, you know, even though you and I have not done this with each other, it's like, we still understand what the role is you ask me the questions i give you the answers admittedly it made me very uncomfortable when you started asking me questions 
I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> You're like, lady, don't pry into my private life here. Yes. I'm just the guy at the desk, okay? Yeah. You're like, I have to I have to kick that request up to management so that they see. So, yeah, I mean, but it's like, you know, it, and I mean, if you watch if you watch kids, it's like they they, you know, most of them don't have problems with touching each other. I mean, you know, sometimes the parents have to like step in and be like, you know, hey, don't hit her or him. Yeah. But um you know, it's like they don't, they don't like overthink and overanalyze at all, all the time. You know, they, it's, it's, it's very natural for them to do. Um, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of teenagers now who are more comfortable with it, you know, where they're in high school and they're still being all snuggly with each other, which I love, but you know, it's like. Those kids are going to have a better life than I did. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, probably. Well, in some ways. But, you know, it's like that. So we feed them into the machine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, but it it, it helps, you know, because it's like, you know, these, these people are in your tribe or your clan already. You know, it's like if you have people that you have really close, intimate friendships with, you know, it's like, why don't we take it one step further? Well, I mean, on that note, I think a lot about the paleoanthropology of human sexuality and intimacy, right? Mm -hmm. And this notion that, you know, Helen Fisher's work on the neurochemistry of love and her, I guess, conclusion was that there's a reason that we go through the kind of hormonal infatuation cycles that we go through that result ultimately, that culminate in, you know, a long-term bond with somebody that's not especially spicy, but it's deeply loving. And that that has to do with how long it takes for two people to have a child that can then grow to being like reasonably self-sufficient and can be up walking around and interacting with the other members of the tribe and suddenly being like the responsibility of the entire community to raise. And that at that point, the, you know, people kind of fall out and find a new mate and that, you know, you look at it, you look at modern society through that lens Mm -hmm. and the cuddle puddle, there's something about um, the rigidity of the boundary of the modern self compared to the porous, ba- like where the, the original boundary was around the whole tribe, right? right? And like everybody, there wasn't like a sense of property in the sense that like these things are, these things our tribe will defend, but like if we trust you, it, you know, nobody's nobody's going to accuse you of theft if you like walk into my room in the middle of the night and take my you know, take the stuff and use it. It's your, it's your stuff too. And there's something about anonymity of touch in this age that seems also key. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if you've thought about this at all or, or what, but like specifically like being in a cuddle puddle, there's something about, for me, I've noticed the joy of not knowing whose leg that is, uh-huh. you know, that there's like something, it's not just about touching, but it's about, being like mashed up in a spaghetti bowl of people that is like, you're relieved from even having to, you know, I mean, I assume I'm not into anonymous sex, but I assume that's the appeal of anonymous sex is that it's, it's a, it's an archaic revival of some kind around like the boundary of a personal identity. 
Well, I mean, if you were, you know, if you were in a cuddle puddle with, or, you know, in a sleeping in a big pile with your tribe mates, you know, back in the day, it, it wouldn't really be anonymous, you know, because yeah. it would be people that, you know, and it's the same thing here of, you know, you're in a cuddle puddle and you've consented to be there and the people who are in it have consented to be there. So, you know, even though you don't necessarily know whose leg that is, I mean, I would say it's still a safe leg. It's a, it's a safe leg, but it's also, again, you know, it's like, this is, this is how our species evolved. You know, that was what safety meant. Safety meant that you had your tribe close to you. So that, you know, that you weren't going to get killed because you weren't on your own. You know, they had you, they had you there. It's so funny. I read this, I read this thing a while back. Um, The guy was, you know, go, go, I can't remember. It was, it was some article about why, you know, everybody's striving for happiness is bullshit. And, you know, the guy was like, um, he was like, well, you know, everybody talks about, oxytocin being the love hormone but you know making you happy isn't going to really help when you know there's a wild beast running at you and i was like i was like oxytocin's role wasn't to make people happy under those circumstances it was so when your tribe was starving you weren't going to like throw the babies or the elderly people off the cliff or abandon them you know it's it's a it's a bonding thing you know and um you know, yeah, I would argue that, that that feels good and safe to you, not because of the anonymity, but just because it's familiar. It's like that's it's it's in our DNA. Mm. I, I really I really and truly believe that. There's also I mean, to counter that guy's argument directly, oxytocin is not just for feel good, cuddly stuff, but they found that people with high oxytocin levels are also more jealous and more aggressive. Yeah, I mean, well, and but, so you know, there's that. But like, it's maybe but, you would be more willing to fight a wild boar. If but you're... but of course you would because it's like, you know, it's it's produced when you have a baby and it's like you want to protect your baby from harm. You know, of of course you're gonna. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's like everybody's like, oh, it has a dark side and you know, it promotes in group bias and it's like that's that's. <laughs> not a bug it's a feature you know it's like you want to you want to be able to to protect your your offspring and you know and protect your the members of your tribe you know yeah i mean it's 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 complicated like everything else is i really try you know it's like there's there's a lot that can be said you know about the the mental effects or you know on depression or anxiety or this or that I really like to focus on the physiological effects, you know, because it's like, you know, lower blood pressure, relieves inflammation, painkiller, good for your heart. I mean, these are these are things that are good for your physical body, you know, and we're not we're not talking about that. We're not really, you know, again, it gets back to reframing or rebranding touch as something that's an element of wellness, Mm. you know, of a physical health, you know, that it, when, when you like it, it's good for you. Um, there's something that I've noticed in our sessions and, ah, uh, I'm, I'm dying. I, I, I really, really, really want science to scientists to dig into this more. I'm, I'm not a scientist. I don't, 
you know, I, but I would love to see more experimentation around it. There's something that happens when, when we're in our session, you know, it's like for the first part, when we have our hands on people, we're, we're doing, you know, kind of the similar to what I was talking about with the book, you know, where we're progressively getting physically closer to each other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're doing very light touch on the person for about 20 minutes before we put them on our, on their side and cuddle them in between us. And there's something that feels like that happens about seven minutes in where it's like all the little micro muscles in their body just relax, you know, and it's, it's like the, it's like the safety is like completely penetrated to them. And I mean, it's crazy. Like I've, I've thought about marketing this as a beauty treatment because people look 10 years younger when we're done with them. Mm. You know, there's so, there's just, it's, it's, like it's just a relief you know of oh okay i belong i matter i'm important you know i'm i'm here i'm with other people it, it's so simple and and yet so profound do you think that we're at this point where the crisis of touch deprivation has reached its peak we're aware of it the reason we're so aware of it is because it's on its way back down to like healthy levels? Or do you think that we're, we're sort of coming awake just at the moment where it's, I mean, I, I guess what I'm asking is, do you think that this is properly described as a crisis? Do you think that this crisis is getting worse or do you think that we're, we're starting to understand enough about this stuff that we're going to be able to start implementing systems on a much more pervasive scale? Well, I mean, if, if I have my druthers about it, I mean, that's where that's where I'm kind of going business wise. Something that I'm fascinated about that I'm planning on talking about a lot is that, you know, we're loneliness is being called a public health epidemic. And you look at the the physical things that happen to you when you're lonely they correspond exactly with human touch, with the positive benefits of human touch. And, you know, I'm, I'm reading about all these articles about loneliness all the time, and nobody is talking about this. No one is talking about this. And, you know, I, I don't, it, it's, it's not, it wouldn't be that hard to set up systems that would, you know, that would do it. You know, it's like, again, you have to follow a model where you're basically teaching people, you know, you're giving them a framework in which they can learn to touch each other. But, you know, one of the beautiful things about it is, you know, once once people are trained or they have that common mindset, it's free. It can be done peer to peer. Um, you know, you don't need um, you don't need a lot of equipment. You know, people don't have to go on a special diet for it. I mean, it's so it's so simple and so easy, you know. I mean, all all you really need is two people, you know, who are, who are willing, <laughs> willing to agree. Yeah, who are willing to agree, which is that's the hard part. That's where we get <laughs> stuck. It's the well, it, not only is it the willing to agree, but it's like we don't even know how to ask for that. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, if I were to hop on Tinder tonight and, you know, try and find somebody who wanted to, you know, to snuggle with me, I mean, I'd be, you know, they'd be like, they, you know, they wouldn't be going for it, you know, because it's like, 
that it's it's too weird for a lot of people you know although that might just be like uh, uh tinder is a pretty seedy bar you know as far as that kind of Right, but that that's non-sexual the, activity is concerned. Right, but it's the bar where, you know, people are mostly getting their touch needs met. You yeah. know, I mean that's that's what it's come to. I mean, I I it's so funny. I find it so interesting that, you know, people are quote unquote getting their touch needs met through sex because most of the sex that people say they want to have or, you know, hookup sex, it's like it's not very you know, touch rich. It's not very tender. It's not very kind. It's like, no, sorry. I just met you five minutes ago. I don't want to have anal sex with you. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's not nurturing, you know, it's not, it's not sweet. It's not gentle. It's not people being nice to each other. Makes me think a lot about this under the, the, like the undercurrent of this entire conversation has been, Specifically, like men and men having touch issues. Like, you, you know, you mentioned earlier that, like, being female, it's like you maybe have more access to non sexual totally. snuggling. And um, yeah, I wonder, like, I guess that's like a, a specific topical area you, that that for sure is getting better. Don't you think like for sure I'm, I am, you think it's, I'm a thousand times more physically affectionate with my male friends than my father was or my grandfather. Maybe. I mean, there's still a lot of men who aren't that way. I mean, um, it's, it's the, this is something that really, really hits men really hard because, you know, they're, they're told that the only way that they can get their touch needs met is through sex and, um, you know, with, with much less of an access to it. Um, you know, there, there are, there are some men who are more physically affectionate with other men, but there are other men out there who, you know, they'll go, the only time they get touched by another human being is when they get their hair cut once every six weeks. I mean, literally, or, you know, when they go to the doctor and, you know, the doctor's examining them and they put their hands on them and, you know, med- medical touches certainly valuable you know obviously or i put it in the category of therapeutic touch but you know that doesn't that doesn't always feel good um you know there's still there's still a lot of fear around homophobia um you know it's it's just it's 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 hard for men you know i mean if uh, i mean like i have a lot of male friends who you know because they know who i am and what i do and stuff who you know, I'd be perfectly comfortable with them coming to me and being like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm really having a hard day. You know, can can we cuddle or something? But, you know, there's a lot of guys out there who would never ask that of a woman because they were afraid of it being misconstrued. And they wouldn't ask it of their male friends because, you know, they'd be afraid of getting called a faggot or something, you know, or worse. Are you like a lawyer when you're off the, the clock and you're like, sorry, you got to... <laughs> You got to cut me a check if you... No, no, no. God, I mean, I, you know, I, no. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's part of spreading the message. You know, I so, sometimes I'm probably not as good with my boundaries as I should be. You know, like I want to, you know, I, I don't want people to go away feeling sad or rejected. Um, but, you know, but at the same time, it's like I don't, 
you know, to, to get back to the, the topic of men, it's like, I think it would be good for, for men to be more touchy with each other, but at the same time, you know, I, I can't make that decision for them. I mean, this is, this is something that every single one of us has to navigate for ourselves. Mm. You know, it's, there's, there is not a one size fits all solution and, you know, and, and, and boundaries, boundaries are hard for people because they're, they're fluid, you know, it's like, no might mean not with you, not right now, not that thing, you know, and it, and it, the boundaries may be different 10 minutes down the road, you know, and it's just, it's such a, it's, it's not that hard to learn how to do it, but you know, we're, we're not taught. I mean, you know, my, my master plan for world domination in this field, you know, I mean, like I would love to see some sort of curriculum or, you know, cuddle party kind of thing, you know, created for teenagers, you know, so they can, so they can learn these basics, you know, I'm imagining a public school instituting that and like the parent calls, Oh, totally. I know. I know. I'm all like, I'm all like, I'm going to start with homeschool kids, I think. You'd have to. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, have it, have it be an elective, like, you know, sex ed or something, you know, and then, you know, of course it's like, it has to be, it has to be peer to peer. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot about hierarchies and power that is around touch, you know, that that's mm-hmm. a, that's part of the issue as well. The ass slap. The condescending shoulder right. pat, uh-huh. all those little like, yeah, yeah. I, it, the funny thing is, so many of those. It, there's another layer to this, which is like a lot of people. I was just talking about this author, Kate Green, who spent some time in a Mars habitat simulation uh-huh. in Hawaii, and she was talking about how uh, eating the like space rations that they, you know, like eating this very un un. Uh, varied uh-huh. varying diet for four months that she was in there she started to lose her like her sense of smell started to atrophy just like the astronauts talk about yeah. in, in space uh, they stop eating as much because they stop being able to like understand the food by smelling it right and it doesn't it doesn't like excite them or stimulate them as much and i feel like this Maybe something going on. This it's it's not just that people are touch deprived. It's that people are touch illiterate. Like oh, you know, like and when my buddy got a sexual harassment uh, charge, not right. like a criminal charge, but right. complaint mm-hmm. filed against him, it was it was just this like it was one of those instances like speaking another language, like making a mistake in someone else's language. Yeah, you know that like we just don't. To some of us, it's so obvious that you can't touch somebody that that way. I mean, you get into that the basic rule of like absolutely everything is consensual, then you get around that. But like, yeah, I mean, it's well, and it's, and it's really compounded, I think by being, you know, being in the United States and being in this place where we don't have a monoculture where it's, where it's such a mix melting pot. And, you know, you have, you have some people coming from cultures that, you know, where people don't would never think about touching each other, you know, like they don't even touch their families that much. And then, you know, cultures where everybody's like hugging and kissing, you know, and so it's, it's hard to be touch literate. I mean, it, it takes, it just takes a little bit of cognizance 
and you know being being willing to ask you know i mean it takes it takes two two seconds to say would you like a hug Mm. you know before you go in for it and you know i mean it's so it's so weird for me you know like i can't i can't imagine having sex with somebody who didn't want to have sex with me i'm like like, (laughs) what, what is the fun of that you know or you know what's the fun of like you know touching or hugging somebody that doesn't want to be hugged you know it's like ask anyone who force cuddles their pets <laughs> i mean yeah my my uh my my one cat gets pretty bitchy when i have to pick her up like she'll jump in my lap like all day long every day but yeah sometimes when i well sometimes i have to pick her up because it's like come on it's time for you to get back in the house but yeah um but yeah actually Cat's like was... i don't consent to this yeah <laughs> Right. Well, you know, that's, it's kind of, I mean, you know, actually that's interesting because parents do that with their kids, you know, everybody like has an experience of like, you know, being forced to like brush your teeth or something, you know, when you don't want to do it, Yeah. there's definitely some, some sorts of touch that are unpleasant, but that we still consent to them or we, you know, as adults, but you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a minefield and, and it's, and it's but it's really not hard to do it right i read oh i read this great twitter thread a while back about a guy who i think was a professional sound guy and he was talking about you know he's like man i keep hearing about all these men who are like afraid to like have any sort of physical contact with women because they don't know how to do it and he was talking about how like oftentimes he would have to put wireless microphones on skimpily dressed models and he would go in and he would be like i'm gonna have to touch you you know in places where it's gonna feel really intimate would you feel comfortable if there was a woman in the room and before they could even say yes he like called his colleague in and then he would be like okay i'm gonna be you know i'm gonna have my hand by your breast and i'm probably gonna touch your breast because Mm -hmm. i'm you know and you can do this by yourself but you know it's probably easier for me to do it but you know if you feel more comfortable and, you know, I was just like, damn, that guy probably gets a lot of dates, <laughs> you know, because that that level of um, awareness around touch is so I mean, it's, it's fucking hot. You know, it's like, OK, you know, this, this person actually cares about what I want. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I like I I gave I gave up on online dating because, you know, like some of the some of the stuff that people would offer me sexually i was just like are you fucking kidding me you haven't even said hello to me yet and (laughs) you know and you know it's like you know you know back away from the porn you know it's like i don't i don't really have anything against porn mostly i just find it boring but i kind of compare it to you know, like when MTV first started and you would like hear a song and then you would be like visualizing the video. Uh-huh. It's 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 given it's given that sort of script or storyline for sex, you know, that just kind of spools through people's heads. And it's like, yeah, you know, if you know, if, if that's you know, if, if that's what you like or, you know, that's fine with me. But, you know, it just doesn't really interest me that much. Totally. Although in in defense of even the most boring prosaic porn i've noticed there's almost always a healthy amount of foreplay or at least in the like abbreviated 
mm-hmm. video that's available online because they want to like hit the bases for everybody. Right. So you know, it's like she's always seems like she's always getting some, you know, and there's lots of lead up, and and then also naturally, except for the the genre of this, you're like 100% guaranteed that everybody is down. You know, that like everyone is consenting to this thing. But then again, that's sort of like comparing a like a shoot 'em up to a snuff film or something. <laughs> you know, then you get into all of the other conditional stuff. I don't know. This is actually we've been talking so much about consent. Maybe this is the right there may or maybe it's not the right place to end this. But the issue with like consent, like you're, you can't ask a, a cat for consent you can sort of ask a kid a young child uh oh we should you should totally ask kids for consent yeah absolutely because they know that they trust their bodies right but like early 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 enough and it's like you get into issues of like communication and then there's the whole thing of like when you talk about informed consent and the age of consent and it's like well well now we know that your brain isn't really fully adult until you're like 25 uh-huh. And now, the, you know, the age of consent is like in the most liberal sort of progressive states. It's 18 or whatever. And I just wonder, like, the more we learn about the brain, the more we realize that what we are calling choices are really just sort of like the output of all of these genetic, historical, like, you know, psychohistorical factors, right. like all this stuff. So, like, what does it really even mean to choose I mean, this is, and this is the issue of like, well, I said yes then, but I meant no now. Well, I mean, a lot of it comes down just to the basics of that. We don't, we're not educated how to do it. And, you know, and then there's all, you know, like you're saying, there's all sorts of other factors, you know, I mean, if you're a woman and you say no to a strange man, that can get you killed. I mean, it happens, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't happen all the time, but you know, please tell me how I can figure out, you know, who's going to, who's going to hurt me and who's not. Mm. Um, but at some point it's like, you just, it's like, if you, if you give people permission to, you know, to, to even play with it, you know, to ask something directly, you know, uh, like I, I have a friend who kind of always like side loads his, his hugs, you know, and he'll be like, you know, (laughs) Well, it's like, you know, oh, oh, I'm hugging you, you know, and it's like, it's like, dude, you're married and you're using this as an opportunity to grope me, you know, and, and playing it off as being innocent, you know, as opposed to, you know, cause it's like, he could, he couldn't just ask me that, you know, Hey, can I have a hug and can I grab your ass? No. You know, it's like, we don't, we don't, we don't give people permission wow, to. Wow, I've never even heard someone ask that question. No, of course not. <laughs> Right, because they, you know, they they know on on that level that you know maybe you know that it's it's the wrong thing to do, but it's like we don't have like even just like the most basic forms of negotiation. I mean, it's it's stuff that we should be taught when we're eleven or twelve, you know, and it just you know it just it just comes a point where you know you have to take it at face value. You know, if somebody's asking and you know saying yes or no i mean yeah yeah it does get into issues of somebody saying yes when they when they really meant no and you know i mean it's there's a a big stew of things but you know part of the reason that i like doing this work just around 
nurturing human touch that's completely non-sexual is because it gives people like a very low stakes environment and setting and, you know, thing situations to, to practice with. It's a, a very uh, beginner's way to, to play around with this thing. And I mean, I've had like, we used to do cuddle parties for a while. And um, I mean, I had people who would come back a few times and they'd be like, yeah, this you know, the negotiation stuff, the stuff where we learned around boundaries, they're like, you know, they're like, I took that out and applied it in, uh, you know, other parts of my life, you know, whether that, you know, like somebody saying, hey, let's go see this movie. No, I don't want to. It's like, you know, we're so busy saying what we think we're supposed to say or asking what we think we're supposed to ask. And, you know, it doesn't really necessarily take into account our real desires so Mm. you know to to give people a place to like play around with some of this stuff and practice you know with you know especially if you're with a group of friends and you already know each other and you can be forgiving and make some mistakes and flub it up some I mean it's (laughs) it's really you know it, it makes it I think so that your consent does become more solid and grounded, you know, when you really know, you know, when you when you would really feel comfortable saying no or yes or what have you. It's a pretty easy way for people to learn something and, you know, where they can then take those skills and apply it to the rest of their lives and apply it to their sex lives and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So where do you where do you see this going like in into the future, I, I like to end these by asking if this recording is really, in some sense, for an unborn audience that's going to have a very different experience of humanity than ours does. Uh-huh. Then it's like an A and a B, right? A is what would you hope to learn from them about the way that people are living? You know, like what or what would you hope to know from them about how people are touching each other in the future and then and then what would you say what would you hope to communicate to someone who doesn't um you know someone who's trying to understand what it's like to be alive today so i would like to see um this is a great question thank you um i would like to see people approaching this in a lot of different ways, you know, there's not going to be there again, there's not going to be a one size fits all need or solution. So, you know, maybe uh, there are different centers where people could drop in and, you know, once they've gotten the basic training where they're able to share touch with each other, um, I would like to see people going into other people's homes and providing them with touch Um, I would like to see touch um, uh, integrated into support groups, a lot more, a lot more peer group kind of stuff, you know, where it doesn't, where you don't have to worry as much about the hierarchical nature, you know, so like maybe you would have almost like a lifeguard, you know, where you have a person (laughs) who's kind of sitting, you know, so it's like you have. Like you have the nurse who's like sitting on the sidelines at the retirement home while all of the retired people, um, all the elderly people 
provide touch for each other. Mm. Um, Blowing a whistle when somebody's yeah, <laughs> it's on a line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Hands above, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, They'll be used to that, right? Because that was just like school dances back then. Right. Yeah. So um, I would like to see kids, you know, get literacy on this and, you know, to really to really approach it as a place of play. I mean, it's interesting because um, originally it was thought that primates touched each other a lot. You know, there's there's a lot of social grooming that goes on and um you know, some of it is to like rid each other of vermin, but they've also found that it just fosters cooperation. You know, it's that we are able to kind of see it as a place to to kind of play and give our bodies a reset, you know, just as something that's helpful to get us out of our heads and into our bodies a little bit more. And, you know, for some people, exercise or meditation works great and for other people it doesn't but just to to kind of put it back in the center of of being human it's literally how we can and do connect with other people it comes back to connection and having people realize that you know that it's okay i mean Part of, I think, what I'm trying to do is have people write another story about what it means to be human and and how humans treat them, you know, because there's so much distrust and, you know, pulling back and, and fear of other humans. And it's like humans can be nice to each other and, and be kind and tender and and gentle and, and look out for each other. I think that... Um, you know, maybe it can help us be more of a global village. Yeah. Well, any any global village I want to be a part of is also going to be a giant cuddle puddle. <laughs> but it has to be consensual. Oh, of course. Or, or I, I don't sign off on it. I'll be like blowing my whistle all over the place. What's that? Uh, was it? Uh, <laughs> who was it that said? Uh, was it any revolution? Like uh, I won't uh, be a part of any revolution. Uh, what's that, your name? That uh, about, that, uh, that, Gertrude, it wasn't Gertrude Stein. It was her girlfriend. Was it Emma Goldberg? I think so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to be part of your revolution if I can't dance. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to be part of the revolution unless it has to do with people being nice to each other. Unless and... they ask nicely. Yeah. Would you? Would you? So you're, you're down for revolution? Thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, no, actually, one of my uh, one of my um, my core philosophies or belief this is uh, evolution not revolution mm. so i'm trying to like take something something that's very old and ancient and evolve it into a kind of a new paradigm of how we apply it and use it and have it have it be something that's good well right on thanks so much for joining us on the thank show thank you for having me where are we sending people on the web to you uh so you can find the book on all of the major um book distributor platforms uh the website is somebodyhold.me oh you got the dot me nice. i got the dot me well somebodyholdme.com was already taken god damn it i tried to find out who had that and why they had it what they were doing with it because i don't I, I think they just have the domain parked but yeah you know amazon barnes and noble kobo 
iBooks, you know, Google, like where, you know, wherever I can uh, sling it out, it should be easy to find. But yeah, somebody hold me the single person's guide to nurturing human touch. And if they want to uh, get you on your side gig, the Karuna sessions, Karuna sessions. Yeah. We're based in Austin and um, yeah, I call it immersive touch therapy and um, it's, it's pretty badass. It's, it's really, really enjoyable. Um, you know, we have, it, it's interesting, you know, it's like a lot of professional cuddlers, like their, uh, their clients are primarily men. Um, like our, our, our stuff has been wildly popular with new mothers, hmm. you know, it's like, we're basically refilling their, their nurturing banks. You know, it's like, here, let us do for you what we do, what you do for your baby all day long. So Yeah come in and uh, get a session and let us uh, take care of you for an hour. Right on. Thanks. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks again for listening. Future Fossils is part of the MindPod network along with Synchronicity, It's All Happening, Third Eye Drops, The Astral Hustle, and a lot of other really great shows. I encourage you to go to mindpodnetwork.com and check them all out. And if you'd like inside access to all of the secret episodes and special goodies that I put out for Patreon supporters, clip on over to patreon.com slash Michael Garfield. Check those out. Thanks again for listening. And remember, wherever you go, there you are.